apostolic prayers as our focus for this series of messages, but not just for the purpose of saying, okay, that's the new sermon series. We're looking at the prayers of the apostles. No, 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 no. You know, we get so ritualistic. We get so nonplussed about things we should be so excited about integrating into our lives because when we start to pray the word of God, there are some dramatic and radical changes that take place. So as we look at the prayers of the apostles, as written by the apostles, but really written by the Holy Spirit, these are prayers that we want to prioritize. These are prayers we want to take with us into our prayer closets and as we come before God to pray those prayers. For we know that it is only when we pray the word that we will grow up into Christ. How many of us want to grow up into Christ. We can't grow up into Christ unless the word becomes part and parcel of who we are. So this morning we're going to look at the same passage that we've been in, but there is so much here, so I'm sure you're being patient with us as we journey through this passage, and we are going to be speaking about the enlightened heart, praying for an enlightened heart and reading from Ephesians 1, the prayer of the apostle, beginning in verse 17. Praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Here it is. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And so, Lord, now we pray that you would touch these lips of clay I recognize and I acknowledge I am nothing. I have nothing. It is only by the power of your spirit that your word can touch our hearts today. So I pray for the anointing of the spirit upon my lips and upon the ears of every listener in divine presence. Let your word run swiftly and be glorified this morning as we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, if you were with us for the past couple of weeks, we've continued answering three of the four questions that are helping us to unlock the treasures that are found in this prayer. And if you missed those sermons, you could find them online, but we answered number one, for whom Paul is praying. Secondly, to whom is Paul praying? And last week we began to answer, for what is Paul praying? And we see the answer to that is in verse 17, that God would give the Ephesians the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
While there's so much in this verse that we want to continue to unpack, the prayer that Paul is praying, if we could condense it down into this one simple phrase, it would be this, that the Ephesian Christians would come to know God. I don't believe that there is any greater prayer that we can pray as Christians than this prayer that we would come to know God. What exactly do we mean by that phrase, to know God? Well, there are a lot of answers that we could suggest. I like Mike Bickle's definition of what it means to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation which results in knowing God. And he simply calls it having a living understanding about God. Many of us as Christians have a theological understanding of God, but do we have a living, relevant understanding of God in the day-to-day, -day, the 24-7 of our life cycle? This understanding about God is not theology. Those of us who grew up in the church could rattle off a lot of theology about God. We could talk about his wondrous attributes, and these are wonderful things to talk about and to understand, but how about understanding the personality of God. Do you know he has a personality just like you and I have a personality? Do you know that God has emotions just like you and I have emotions? Do you know that God has a very strong, intense sense of the emotion of love? Do we understand how God acts and how he feels toward those who are his children? Have we studied the emotions of God? I'd encourage you to turn to Song of Solomon and read that book, not as a piece of poetry concerning a man and his bride. It's an allegory, but it's an allegory of Christ and his church and how passionately in love he is with his church and his bride. And so as adopted children of God, our walk with Christ is one glorious invitation to this divine treasure hunt of the Holy Spirit escorting us in this glorious journey of discovering who God is. And as we're Christians, the most important thing about your life as a Christian is not coming to church on Sunday morning. Do you know that there are many, many people that the only time they think about God is on Sunday and they, well, I was raised in the church, so it's my responsibility, it's my obligation to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning. Well, you know as a pastor, I love to see the people of God in God's house on Sunday morning. But that is not your primary responsibility. Your responsibility and God's goal for your life is that you would come to know God in ever-increasing measures. It's important that we understand this morning that coming to know God is a bottomless ocean. Huh. But that should excite us. 
Because if you have any thought today that I know God, you don't know the first thing about God. Because the more you get to know about God, the more you're overwhelmed by the awesomeness and your inability to wrap your mind around who he is. When you think about the, the seraphim in heaven and the glorious ones who surround the throne, who bow down day and night. Do you know why they're bowing down day and night? Because they keep getting new and fresh glimpses of this glorious God. And they can't stop praising. They can't stop worshiping. They can't stop glorifying him. They're growing and we will grow in all eternity in the knowledge of God. We grow incrementally. incrementally. We will never plumb the depths in this life. It will take all eternity. <laughs> and in eternity after that, to come to know the fullness of our glorious God. So don't be discouraged. If you say, well, I'm not sure I'm coming to know God the way I need to know him. Well, do the things that he calls you to do. When you live with a person, you get to know them. Are we living with God? Are we communing with God? Are we fellowshipping with God? Are we growing an intimate relationship with God? For when we are, we will then grow in the knowledge of who he is. And there will be a steady increase of that knowledge and revelation as our hearts are set in hot pursuit after him. Do you know coming to know God is the answer to the prayer of Jesus in John 17? Now is eternal life that they may know you. Did you hear that? Do you think eternal life is when you die and go to heaven? Now is eternal life. We know eternal life before we die so that when we die, it's just a transition from this body into his presence and to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord for all eternity that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If we want to know the Father, we can only know him as we study the life of Jesus because in Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I want to ask this morning in our prayer time, are we being the answer to the cry of Jesus, the great intercessor who cried out to the Father that they may know you? Are we saying, God, I'm in your presence not to come with my laundry list of requests, but I'm coming because I want to know you. Let's get real this morning. How do we pray? We pray because we're a needy people. We pray most often because if we don't ask God for our daily bread, we're filled with anxiety. How's this need going to be met? And how's that need going to be met? And I know Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread. But the first priority was, Father, Abba, hallowed be thy name. 
your kingdom come. God, my life is all about you. My life is all about your agenda. My life is all about the fulfillment of your divine purposes and the glorification of your great and your glorious name. Our prayers so often are so shallow. We're always chasing after material blessings. We're chasing after those things that bring us comfort in this life. Most of our prayers are, are those desires about fulfilling the American dream. Everyone wants to fulfill the American dream. God, I need a better job. God, please provide so I could get a, another nice set of clothes. Bring the spouse of my dreams into my life. Bless us with a, with a nicer home. Give our children good health and give me a nice car and give me enough money to buy the latest toys. Is that what knowing God is all about? And we're content to pray those prayers. And as we live a good life, we say, wow, God's good to me. He's blessed me. But Christian friends, if that's our idea of all that God has to do for us as a heavenly Santa Claus that meets all of our needs and takes care of all of our problems and he's always there when we need him, we don't understand what our Christian walk is all about and what he's called us to. We've been sold a bill of goods if we only think about God in our times of need. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? You could by the world's measures and standards be greatly successful, but what does it profit if you've lived this life and not used it as an opportunity to know God, to grow in God, and to develop a deep, intimate relationship with him? Is our praying even worthy praying when all we pray for are our own selfish needs? When we study the prayers of the apostles in the New Testament as they prayed for the saints of the first century Christian church, their focus was never on material things. That church was persecuted. They weren't praying that God would deliver them from persecution. They weren't praying that God would supply their needs. Yes, that was on their heart, but that wasn't the priority. The priority wasn't God deliver me from this trial and deliver them from this, te this temptation and test. But God caused them to grow in maturity, caused cause them to grow into the full stature of the Lord Jesus Christ, caused them to grow deeper in the knowledge of God. That was the passion of the Apostle Paul's heart, was it not? After serving Christ so faithfully, I think there are a few of us who could say, follow me as I follow Christ. But Paul certainly could say that because his life was one example of unmitigated commitment and dedication and consecration and passion and sacrifice. And in the midst of all that he experienced, what was he praying at the end of his life? Not God deliver me from this Roman prison, he wasn't praying that. He was praying that I may know him. That was the passion of his heart. That was the cry of his heart. Here was Paul who was lifted up into the third heaven. But see what happens? The more you get of God, the more you know how cavernous your heart is and how much more you need to know him and how much greater your desire becomes to know him. 
Let me read Paul's prayer again, but this time from the Passion Translation as he prays this prayer not only for himself, but for all believers. I pray the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you, to you, not just to me, the apostle, but to you, every Christian, every ordinary Christian, if there's such a thing. We have a, a tendency of wanting to segregate and separate and categorize, but that's not how God, we're all his children. And we're all beneficiaries of everything that he's provided for us through the atonement. Why aren't we taking advantage of it? Well, the pastor let him grow in God because that's his responsibility. That's an open door of opportunity for each and every one of us. God doesn't limit this to those who are called into vocational ministry. We're all called as priests unto God. We're all called to live in his presence and in such a lifestyle to come to know him, to you, that God would impart the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. Why do we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation? To know him. We can't know him without the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. And how does it come? Through your deepening intimacy with him. You know that word know in this passage is the same word as know in the book of Genesis where the scripture says Adam knew Eve and she conceived. God is calling us into an intimacy. When we speak of intimacy, we're speaking of coming into me. God says, I want to come into you and I want you to come into me. I want us to meld as one unit, not on Sunday morning only. Oh, we could be in the presence of God and feel the joy of the Lord and the glory of God, but we walk out of church and we're, we're hit with some kind of test or trial and we forget that we are still united as one with Christ in God. Nothing can separate us from that relationship but it's a relationship that we need to cultivate. It's a relationship that we need to grow in. Do we understand this morning that all that we can pray for, the greatest thing we can ask for is God himself. God, I want to know you. For when we get him, we get everything else. <laughs> See, we're so concerned about, well, if I don't talk to God about this, I, 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 I'm worried that he's not going to give it to me. And the Bible says, if you don't ask, you don't receive. So I'm going to ask. Yeah, that's all well and good. But you know what I'm discovering? That the truth of Matthew 6.33 stands. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all. How many things? All. How many? All, all these things shall be added unto you. What did God say to Abraham, Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Look up in the heavens and count the stars. Your seed is going to be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand by the seashore. But know this, as glorious and as wonderful as that inheritance is, what I've given you is the greatest inheritance. It's me. <laughs> Do we understand when we have God, we have everything 
Do we understand when we, under, when we recognize that our life is hid with Christ and God, that we are complete in him and that when we put him first and we love him with all of our hearts, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, then every other need in our life is met. And before we even call, he answers. How did it happen? God sees we love him. God sees that we're putting him first. God sees that our longing is after him. And if we're taking care of his business, you can be sure that he's going to take care of our business. See, when we get the revelation that he's all that we need, that he is our reward, that he is the pearl of great price, when we find him, then we're willing to sell all that we have that we might obtain the prize. And the prize is God reveals God to our hearts. Does it get any better than that? Listen to what Jesus said. No one knows the Father but the Son. And no one knows the Son but the Father. Now put your name here. Put your name here because your name belongs here because the Father wants to reveal to you who he is and who his Son is. I don't know. Isn't that exciting, Christian friends? Some of us would think, boy, I would love to have an audience with Queen Elizabeth. Let me tell a little secret. My wife loves Queen Elizabeth. Since she was a little girl, she just was always enamored with Queen Elizabeth. And I don't think anything would delight Kathy more than to have an opportunity to have an audience with Queen Elizabeth. But she's just a human being. Can you imagine having an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and being able to access his very throne room any moment of any day to know he is there, his heart is yearning with a jealous love after us. He's wooing us into himself. He wants us to grow in a deeper intimacy and relationship with him. More of God. And that's why Paul, the apostle, admonished us in Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above. It won't happen unless there's this divine reset. Our mind is on everything but God. And we're wondering, why aren't I growing in God? Why isn't my faith growing? Why don't I feel his love? You've not set your mind. We've not set our mind. I'm pre you know I'm preaching to myself. Did I always say that? And if there's anything that could benefit you, then please receive it. But I need to learn how to recalibrate my mind when the enemy comes in with those thoughts of fear and doubt. When the enemy comes in with thoughts that are not aligned with God's word, I need to recalibrate and set my mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, where he is there ever living to make intercession for me and saying, Father, I'm praying for Paul that his faith fail not. He's praying for us. I want to be united with him in that prayer. I want to be united with him in his prayer that Paul fulfills his destiny, his purpose, and his plan for my life. What are we after as Christians? Is it only something for ourselves or is it him? Do we understand that our life is not Jesus plus, but Jesus is the end goal. Jesus is all in all. Everything else pales. Everything else becomes secondary and tertiary. It goes way down to the bottom of the list. Jesus is number one. But sadly for so many, this is not their primary reward. 
seeing Christ, knowing Christ, growing in Christ. The reward is, what, what can I get from God? What can God bless me with? So what happens when this, this spirit of wisdom and revelation comes upon us? Verse 18, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. You know, we often associate the heart with what? The seat of our emotions. You know, I feel things with my heart. I love with my heart. But interestingly enough, in the New Testament, the place where we feel the deepest is not labeled our heart, but rather, as Paul speaks of it in Colossians 3.12, it is our bowels of mercy. I know that's pretty shocking for some of us. But that's why you need to interpret Scripture in the light of the culture of the day and how people understood certain words because it was common in the Greek culture of Paul's day to attribute the seat of emotions to the intestines, believe it or not, since that's where they believed we really feel our emotions. And I want to suggest this morning, is that really so far-fetched? Because when we're under stress... We say, I'm developing a stomach ulcer. The stress is creating the ulcer. When there's excitement and anticipation, we say, oh, I have butterflies in my stomach. It's speaking about a very deep, deep place in your soul. These emotions really affect our gut more than our hearts. Plus, Paul's usage of the word is not certainly a reference to the large intestine it's just a figure of speech that is pointing us to what is at the very core in the depth of your being have you ever seen a sight that was so pitiful that almost brought tears to your eyes and if you could do anything to fix it you just wanted to jump in there because you felt it so deep in your soul but on the other hand when the bible speaks about our heart it is speaking about the center of where we glean knowledge and understanding, where our thinking and our wisdom comes from. When the word heart is translated from the original language of the scripture, it is translated mind, will, understanding. It's the inner man. The scripture says, guard your heart. What are we guarding? We're guarding our minds. If we're not guarding our minds, then the enemy will have a heyday. Huh. We, we've heard, I believe it was Luther who said, we can't prevent a bird from uh, flying over our heads, but we certainly can prevent them from building a nest in our hair. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to build a nest in our, in our heads so that those thoughts then develop into strongholds that bring us into bondage, that rob us of our destiny, that rob us of the blessing of God. Think about your life. Think about those things that are negative. What are they doing for you? Yet somehow you cannot break free of them. And the reason you can't break free of them is because they're a stronghold in the mind. And that's why the scripture says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what we think we will become what we think we also speak out of the abundance of the heart. The scripture says, the mouth speaketh. 
So now can we understand why it's so important to pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Because the Bible teaches us that if we're only going to live our lives by our natural mind, we will never be able to understand the things of God. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? The natural man, the natural person, that's the unaided mind. It doesn't have the help of the Holy Spirit. That mind does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness or folly to him. Nor is he able to understand them. Why? Because they require spiritual discernment. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 and 18 that before we came to Christ, our minds were darkened. Our understanding was darkened. In other words, in our unregenerate state, the enemy was able to blind our minds. And people could speak to us about the truth, but it never penetrated because there was a veil over our minds that could not see, nor could it understand. And as I thought about that, I thought, my goodness, what an accurate description that is of the world in which we are living today. The minds of so many are blinded to the truth. Do you know why they're blinded to the truth? Because they don't want the truth. By a decision of their own will, they choose that which is against God, which is against his word. And when you do, your mind will be blind and you will have no capacity to receive the truth. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, For their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. So what happens? Oh, they have strong eyes, but what good are strong eyes if you're in total darkness? You can't see. You can have an intellectual, academic mind, but without the light of the Spirit, you will never be able to apprehend the truth of God. It will all seem as foolishness. That's a picture of the spiritual reality of those who are outside of Christ. Spiritual understanding doesn't come by natural intellect. It comes through revelation of the Spirit. It comes when the eyes of our mind are enlightened. Do we understand that the most educated of men in this modern world today are not going to be any more inclined to understand truth than the Bush native in Africa who doesn't even know how to read or write? Both of their minds are darkened to the truth. Both are blind. And until God brings the revelation, it will never happen. But here's the glory of it all. Jesus acknowledged this reality and the blessedness of those like you and I, prayerfully, who with childlike faith receive that revelation. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, but you've revealed them to little children. Just think this morning of all the revelation that is available to us, more available to us than to the most brilliant theologian who has his THDM, whatever the initials are, who have their doctorate in every imaginable a study of discipline, 
but without the Spirit of God, all they have is gray matter and their hearts are darkened because they've not been enlightened. The brain can never know the things that are taught by the Spirit of God. So we need to see the Spirit's work and the importance of it to enlighten us. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why is he given? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Freely. God wants to lavish on us this revelation but the eyes of our mind need to be enlightened. Notice the focus of what Paul is speaking to here, the eyes. What are eyes for? For seeing, that's pretty obvious. But the eyes of our heart are for understanding. The eyes of our heart are for discernment. And this is such an important verse that we really need to grasp. We need to meditate on it. We need to allow this, this truth to, to marinate in our spirit so that we can apprehend it. I, I love comparing translations. And here are a few other translations of this verse from the complete Jewish Bible. I pray that he will give light to the eyes of your heart. Why? So that you will understand. God's word translation. Then you will have deeper insight. Do we want deeper insight into God? Well, the eyes of our heart need to be enlightened. The Good News translation, I ask that your minds may be opened to see light. If our minds are not opened, if we have preconceived ideas and notions and prejudices because of how we were raised and what we were tossed and some doctrinal nuances that are up for interpretation, they have the ability to blind our minds, to shut us off. We need to come to God with the prayer, God, just open my mind. Help me to lay aside all my prejudiced thoughts and convictions and to know that you are God and your truth is the only truth. I want your truth. I don't necessarily want to embrace what I heard 25 years ago because that was the particular nuance that everybody liked to talk about because it was a pet thing. So women had to walk around with buns in their head, right? And no makeup and no jewelry because if they did, that was worldly. They didn't understand that worldliness was embracing a system that was against God. It had nothing to do with wearing a little bit of jewelry or makeup. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm preaching about something that some of you may not know anything about. That was the generation that I grew up in. Well, let's listen to the Phillips translation. That you may receive that inner illumination of the Spirit, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see. And then the Passion Translation, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Flooding! I love that picture. Flooding you with light. How many of us want to be in God's presence where we open up the word of God and say, I'm not just reading black letters on a white page, but this is God's living word. This is God speaking. This is the 
breath of God communicating with my spirit, enlightening my eyes like a flood. God, I've never seen that before. I never understood that before. But your spirit is opening the eye of my understanding so that I might see and so that I might know. You know, if we don't have this, it just grieves the heart of God. Do you remember in the Old Testament how heartbroken God was over Israel? Because their spiritual, they were God's people. God set them apart as his nation, his peculiar special people, unlike all the people on the face of the earth. But then they became just like everyone else. Their minds were darkened and their understanding could not receive the truth of God. We hear the words of Jeremiah repeated over and over throughout the Old Testament. Hear this, O oh foolish and senseless people who have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. And then we come to the New Testament and Jesus shares that same heartache over Israel's blindness. And he says the prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly, although they listen carefully to everything I speak. They don't understand a thing I say. Is that sobering? To think that, there, that we can hear the word of God and listen intently, but yet not understand what God is saying to us through that word? How God is wanting to apply that truth to our lives? Jesus said they look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their heart are closed. God wants to open the eyes of our hearts today. God wants us to build our lives in living with a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, with our eyes open to the fullness of all that he is. I love this expression that I hear Corey Russell say from time to time. Wisdom is what builds the house, and revelation is what fills it. That's a real selah. Wow. How are we building our house? Are we building it with wisdom? And maybe you're saying, oh, I'm trying to do everything that God wants me to do in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm aligning my life and the direction of my life according to the will and the plan and the purpose of God. But how about revelation? Revelation is what fills that house. And God wants to fill our house with the knowledge of who he is. And as he fills our house with the knowledge of who he is, he will blow our minds. He will fill us. He will thrill us. See, this will never come through religion. It will never come through church. It will never come through ritual. It will never come through any of that kind of formality. It comes as we come before Abba. We open up our hearts and we say a prayer. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. And as we close the service this morning, Dean is going to come and lead us in that chorus. I want us to make that the prayer of our hearts. That open the eyes of our heart. Why? We want to see Jesus. I just don't want to get smarter. 
I don't want to become more intellectual. I don't want to say, oh, I, I've been able to grasp this truth or that truth. I just want Jesus, the fullness of who he is and who he desires to reveal himself to me to be so that I could live my life worthy of him. So let's stand together as we sing this song, open the eyes of my heart. Media, do you have the words up for us? <laughs> 